right, you awesome nerds, welcome to Pitch Slapped, the fandom pitch perfect podcast. My name is Kaylee Hillier. I just like to delve into anything to do with Pitch Perfect. This is why we're here. And today on the podcast, not only have we got some super fluffy fan fiction highlights for you, we're also delving into Chinese New Year, which you might think could be a little bit out there as a subject, but it means a lot to me. And so I thought, you know, it's that time of year where Chinese New Year is coming up. And you never know, there is the possibility that Lily could celebrate a form of Chinese New Year, whether it is Chinese New Year or it could be the Korean New Year, which is also very similar. And so I thought, let's delve into a little bit of Chinese New Year. And one of the things that I always find fascinating with New Year is the zodiac animals. If you don't know much about them, we're going to be delving into it today. I'm very excited to see what we're going to find out and see whether or not the Bella's pairings are a good match in the Chinese zodiac. But of course, before we get there, we need to delve into a little bit of actor news. Let's get into it, pitches. <laughs> Our actor news this week, Alexis Knapp announced on her Instagram that the movie Phobias, which she's in, has been set for a March release. So watch out for that. Also, Esther Dean has been doing some great things on social media. I'm loving it. If you are anywhere near her Instagram and a little bit on her Twitter as well, she has been really going forward with a whole kind of like self-love message. It all started a few days ago when she did a little Instagram post about Valentine's Day. And she's kind of all dressed up with sort of hearts and things behind her, talking about Valentine's Day, but specifically the fact that for this month, let's just love ourselves. Let's just give ourselves some appreciation rather than getting stressed about it being Valentine's Day. And I loved that message. It was so good. In a way that only Esther Dean could give that message. Since then, she's had like a number of uplifting messages to set your day right. And she's been doing it with the hashtag LoveMyMKeffingSelf. So she's not messing around. This is the real deal, okay? Esther Dean has told you, love yourself this Valentine's Day. And finally, it's always a big deal when Anna Kendrick finally tweets something after a long absence. And that happened on the 28th of January. And she decided to tweet a little video clip from a scene that she was in in Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. And it's the hedge fund scene. Obviously, keeping up with current affairs and the whole hedge fund mayhem that was happening throughout the week. Everybody kind of asking themselves what hedge funds are and kind of trying to get their head around the whole situation. She shares this clip, which is so well-timed because it's an improv clip that she did in the movie for her character, who doesn't know anything about hedge funds, to explain to to other people who don't know about hedge funds, what hedge funds are. It was so good. It kind of made me want to go back and watch the movie. That's it for our actor news this week. Let's have a little delve into the Chinese zodiac for Chinese New Year.
So I'm sure there's many people who don't celebrate Chinese New Year, don't know that much about it. And I am not the best person to ask about it. I didn't know that much about it until I went to live in Singapore and Malaysia for two years and got to take part and enjoy the significance of what Chinese New Year is. And I tell you what, actually being in an Asian country during Chinese New Year is so different. I feel like they go way more out there than we do for like normal New Year's. And it means so much to the people who celebrate it that I have a number of friends now which I can kind of celebrate it with them and just kind of appreciate the significance of Chinese New Year. There's lots and lots that we could kind of delve into, lots of symbolism and stuff, but I do want to keep it related to the Bellas. So like, although the Bellas probably don't celebrate Chinese New Year, you never know, like whilst in New York, maybe Becca Chloe, we went to Chinatown during Chinese New Year and got to sort of see the celebrations there. I don't know. So we are going to kind of bring it to the Bellas in the form of Zodiac animals for this episode I'm not the best person to kind of delve into Chinese New Year, but I wanted to give it a little bit of a highlight. And I got some of my friends from Malaysia and Singapore to kind of help me out with some of the info, making sure, fingers crossed, that we got it all right. I'm sure there are some of you listening who do celebrate it, and I hope that we can kind of do it justice on the episode today. I wish I could actually say it in Mandarin, but I'm not going to attempt to say Happy New Year in Mandarin because I will get it wrong. But I do just want to wish anybody who is celebrating Chinese New Year that I hope you have a wonderful time. If you don't know much about it, let's just give you a little bit of a background as best as I can. So the Chinese Lunar New Year is celebrated by more than 20% of the world and it's the most important holiday in China and to the Chinese people all over. And you might be wondering why is Chinese New Year happening in and around January, February rather than New Year when everybody else seems to celebrate New Year's? Well, that's because it doesn't follow the same calendar that we have. Chinese New Year is also known as the Lunar New Year or the Spring Festival. But the reason why the dates change is because it goes with the lunar calendar. So it follows the moon. When I was living in Malaysia and Singapore, most of the Chinese cultured traditions that I got involved in were related to the lunar calendar. One of my favourites was the mooncake season. Amazing. So because it follows the lunar calendar, there's no set date. It changes year on year. And sometimes it could be in January. Sometimes it could be in February. This year, Chinese New Year starts on the 12th of February. And it actually lasts a good like 16 days. From my friends that celebrate it is the fact that there's a kind of a big build up. There's a big preparation for New Year's. Very different to like what we would do here. Like I don't feel like there's like that big of a preparation it just kind of comes you go out for a party or something and then you have new year's and then it's new year's day that's kind of it but in the chinese cultures it's actually a really significant time where there's lots of traditions to kind of prepare yourself for the new year trying to give yourself the best fortune in going forward and so there's a lot of cleaning a lot of things that have to be done in preparation for new year's day I didn't appreciate when I was living in Malaysia and Singapore how significant New Year's Eve to New Year's Day was. Now, when you've ever celebrated New Year's, obviously you have like the countdown 
and then it's New Year's and fireworks go off and that's kind of it. And then you sing the old Anxine song and you're done. By, you know, quarter past 12, the main celebration is done and then you just kind of continue the party. When I was in Malaysia, this the first time I had experienced it, I didn't know what to expect. And at the time, we were cycling in and around Kuching in East Malaysia. Obviously, people had their decorations out. There was lots of red. I remember there being lots of red decorated around the doors and stuff like that. And I had never experienced a firecracker before. And I didn't realise that in the build-up to New Year's, they would sometimes set off firecrackers to kind of ward off bad luck. So we were cycling in this residential area and it's dark, kind of making our way home. Suddenly, all this banging started going off, kind of like a firework, but quicker and just snappier. And you're just kind of like, what the heck is going on? Like genuinely, we had to pull over because we were cycling thing and like wondering what on earth is happening in the street. Further down the road, there's like a group of people and it turned out they'd set off some firecrackers and it's like a whole string of little boxes all connected together. So they set this thing off and it literally just cracks and pops and like it was for a moment, it was the scariest thing that had happened to me in a while. It turned out that there were a number of houses on our way home that was doing this and setting off firecrackers. I had never kind of experienced anything like it. We got to meet with some friends on New Year's Day and they had some firecrackers and kind of set these things off and they'd light them and just like throw them into the street. You had to be a little bit careful cycling around just in case somebody threw one on the street and you weren't paying attention. (laughs) That was kind of like the main build up to Chinese New Year. We kind of stayed up. I had never experienced what it was like when they hit midnight on Chinese New Year. And so we were in our apartment and like on the little balcony thinking, oh yeah, there'll be a few fireworks. We'll say each other Happy New Year and then we'll go to bed. No. Bearing in mind that in Malaysia at the time, we were told that it was illegal to have private fireworks. So it struck... 12 at midnight and suddenly the world just lit up with fireworks i have never experienced anything quite like it if you think about maybe the little amount of fireworks you get at new year's this was completely different it was almost like every household had some form of fireworks going on some of them were big as well like i remember just looking out And it lasted for two hours. Not like the little, oh, happy new year, you're done. No, this went on for two hours of fireworks, just lighting up the sky to the point where there was so much smoke from the fireworks that you literally couldn't see that far into the distance. It was very impressive. And that was kind of a reminder to me of just how significant this day was for a lot of people much bigger and much more important than how we celebrate new year's here in the uk and then in the morning you're woken up with firecrackers going off as well again in the new year's day and in the morning bringing in the new year and bringing in good luck and there's a number of things 
that people have to prepare themselves for that I learned from my friends who celebrate Chinese New Year. Things like they don't shower on New Year's Day, the day before the Spring Festival dedicated to cleaning. So you need to sweep away bad luck. And like they clean extremely thoroughly. It's very important, or it was for my friends, to clean extremely thoroughly through the house so that you're getting rid of the bad luck and making room for the good luck. There's a number of taboo things that you have to watch out for as well. So things like hair cutting has to be done before the 12th. No using scissors, knives or other sharp things during New Year's Day. And another thing that we got to appreciate is we would go to visit our friends in and around the two weeks of the celebrations of Chinese New Year. And a lot of them had their homes open. Maybe I don't know if this is just like a Malaysian and Singaporean thing, but they loved just having open houses. They just keep their houses open for people who wanted to kind of drop by and say hi for their celebration. And we would go to these houses and if you were single, you got little red envelopes with a monetary contribution in them. And even though it's not our holiday, they were insisted that we had these things. And they were like, well, it's because you're single. They used to call them umpow. I don't know what it's called in other places. Red is also an important colour for Chinese New Year. It's an invaluable weapon used with almost all Chinese New Year decorations. And also, they would wear new clothes on Chinese New Year, believed to bring good luck and to start fresh. And a lot of times that would include the colour red. And in all these traditions to bring about good luck for the year ahead, one thing that always stuck with me was the Chinese zodiac. Now, it's one of those things you've probably heard of before. I find it fascinating. I love it. So Chinese New Year this year is going to be on the 12th of February and it will be the year of the ox. Now the Chinese zodiac has 12 animals, similar to like Western horoscopes that have 12 zodiacs. However, the Chinese zodiac animal lasts for an entire year and it's actually quite significant especially when I was there around Chinese New Year, the Chinese zodiacs and what years you were born in is actually quite significant for a number of things. I found that people really took attention to what your zodiac animal was, what positive traits were bestowed upon you, and it played like a bigger role in what your career, health and relationship success was going to be like. And also like who you were compatible to. They would run our zodiacs through and be like, oh, this would be a good match. Or you should find someone who was born in these years who had this zodiac animal. They'd be better suited for you. So thinking of that and like even now I would get sent what my fortune is predicted to be. It's fascinating to think that there's like a whole section of the world who celebrates this and takes this really seriously. And while we might like looking at the Bellas and like their horoscopes, have we looked at what their signs are in the Chinese zodiac and whether or not they're compatible? Because this could be like a whole thing. Which ship do you think is going to be the most compatible ship from the Chinese zodiac? So there are 12 animals... And the legend with the animals is that the Jade Emperor summoned all the animals to his palace to have a great race. And the order in which the animals arrived at the palace determined the order of the zodiac. 
So the animal that won the race was the rat. I love this because the whole story is the fact that the rat jumped on the ox's back, rid it to the end and then like stood on his nose at the finish line or like jumped off and ran to the end. There's a number of like abbreviations of the story. So the order it goes, it was the rat, ox, tiger, rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, sheep, monkey, rooster, dog and pig. And everybody has their animal. Now you can like find out what your animal is online. And while it is by years, you sometimes might need to check the date because obviously with it going with the lunar calendar, if you're born in January, February, you might be a slightly different year to what everybody else in that year would be. So it is worth kind of checking that. I was born in 1988, which was the year of the dragon. So technically I'm a dragon. I love being a dragon. It's great. And 2021 is going to be the year of the ox. And not only do you have your zodiac animal, there are also five elements to the Chinese zodiac as well. And they can be wood, fire, earth, metal and water. So I was born in the year of the dragon and my element is earth, apparently. That's how it went. It was a yang year. So with all of that information in mind, why don't we have a look at the Bellas and see what their personality traits are against their zodiac animals. Now for this, I'm going to be using their passports. It seems to be the, uh, the most comprehensive view of their birth dates. There are obviously other sources, but the passports are in the movies. So we're going to go with that. And we're going to kind of use it as our best place of reference. Starting off then with Aubrey. Aubrey Posen, apparently born in April 1989. She is, according to the Zodiac, a snake, an earth snake. People born in the year of the snake are idealists. On the outside, they may seem cold, but deep inside, they are warm and enthusiastic. Their desire for exclusive ownership is very fierce. It irks them if they can't fully understand someone. Snakes are devoted and determined, but their worst enemy is laziness. Interesting. An interesting definition of a snake. If I think about Aubrey Posen in the first movie, I think you could say that there are points when she is fairly cold, but it's nice after watching the movie that you do see the kind of warm side to Aubrey Posen. She clearly has a a big desire for ownership over the Bellas at first. <laughs> and she definitely doesn't want to fully understand Becker. I think there's a lot of like smacking heads there. Personality-wise, apparently the snake is humorous and sophisticated. They don't like small talk or thinking about small everyday problems, but in a chaotic environment, they are in the eye of the storm. Snakes are able to hold their ground and calmly think of solutions, which I think I could see that being quite an Aubrey Posen thing. I think she's got the sophistication and like she is a leader. Maybe sometimes it was a mi little bit misguided, but I think she is a sort of natural leader of the Bellas. You see it especially in Pitch Perfect 3. They're always making new plans and follow them without relying on others' input. They're usually correct, but this also 
comes from a distrust of others. However, you cannot judge a snake by its cover. Their slow and lazy talking hides their fast-paced thinking. Behind their calmness, they are alert and observant. I love that like connection with laziness that you might kind of think, oh, they're not really doing that much. But actually, it's all like processing in their mind. Snakes are loyal friends and keep friendships for life, but they are sensitive to critique. If hurt, they will never forgive and forget. They love deeply, but this comes with deep jealousy as well. So if you partner up with Aubrey, be careful. Careers for snakes. Apparently snakes do well in jobs that require quick thinking and fast reaction speeds. They're great improvisers and do well in competitive fields and competitive sports. They have their own unique methods, but they do like to stick to their ways. So they're usually good in like management or leadership positions. We kind of seen that with Aubrey Posen. Her job at the uh, retreat is literally that job, like managing people. <laughs> but we also see that it can be difficult for Aubrey to kind of break out of sticking to her ways. They're not good with jobs that they can't express their opinion. So routine or standardised jobs are not a good fit for a snake. However, the problem with snakes is that they, they need to learn to listen, considering the thoughts of others and combining that with their own ideas. This brings them long-lasting success in the workplace. So, Aubrey, if you're going to be successful, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to others. That's it. Now, what about compatibility? What animals, what zodiac signs are compatible with the snake? Apparently, the monkey, rooster and the ox are all compatible with the snake. So as we delve into this a little bit further, watch out for who might be a monkey, rooster or an ox and they're least compatible with the tiger and the pig. So as we delve into this, we've got Aubrey Pose and the snake. I, th I think that is actually like a pretty good fit. When I first saw that Aubrey was a snake, I was a bit like, oh, like, would you want to be a snake? But reading through that, I think that actually fits Aubrey posing quite well. Moving on to our next character, we've got Chloe. And her birthday is listed as the 7th of June 1990. That makes her a horse with the element of metal. It's an interesting one because I think that could be quite applicable for Chloe Beale. Let's see what the description is. So people born in the year of the horse are never one to surrender. They are always positive and energetic, pushing themselves forward. Their biggest desire is to have freedom to do what they like and be able to express themselves. However, they also have various negative traits. Horses are bad at keeping secrets and lose interest quickly. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, Chloe Beale is probably the epicentre of positivity and energy. Definitely has that for sure. Never want to surrender, I think, is quite an interesting one. She is a leader of the Bellas, but I think there are things where she kind of does surrender. I think when Aubrey's in charge, she kind of lets Aubrey do her thing. But I can also see it like when she kind of sees it worthwhile not surrendering, like Chloe Beale sticks to her guns. I mean, heck, she jumped into Becca's shower. 
Chloe is also a very expressive person. So having the freedom to express herself, I could totally see that being a thing. Some of the personalities of a horse, they're full of energy, albeit a little bit too much. They're strong believers in chasing their dreams rather than wealth or fame. Happiness is what motivates them. They sometimes expect others to operate under the same speed and don't understand why others can't. I could see that with Chloe, like chasing your dreams, going after what's going to make you happy. People would say you have to kind of get the fame or the money. Some of the problems with horses is that they have ever-changing emotions. They have short tempers and become angry quickly. Once it's over, they're quickly to forget. Their biggest fault is that they're blind to the their own faults. Interesting. <laughs> And being a metal horse, it means they're kind and positive. They can be too straightforward or blunt at times, hurting others without realising it. And need a partner that can tolerate their faults. I think this is like a good fit for Chloe. I like it. But it also like brings other personality traits to the service that maybe I hadn't really thought of with regards to Chloe. Like, she can be straightforward. Heck, she went into the shower with a purpose. Like, she was going to get Becca to sing. That was... <laughs> I'm sure there might have been other motives there as well, but, like, <laughs> that was the main one. Careers for horses. Rather than a simple and routine job, horses are more suitable for technical and effective work. Jobs that require quick reflexes and improvisation. So horses like to have, like, change in their job because they like to adapt to changing environments. Many times they also have a plan when others are still trying to figure things out. This makes them strong candidates for leaders and horses need the freedom. Otherwise, it can be more painful for them doing something like the same thing every day. So Chloe needs change, okay? She needs freedom to express herself, changing environments and just doesn't want to get stuck into a rut. So who are horses compatible with? They are most compatible with the goat, the tiger and the dog. And they're least compatible with the rat, ox and the horse. So if you are a Corbury shipper, the snake and the horse. According to compatibility, the chemistry that is the irresistible force and the immovable object is the snake and the horse. As time goes by, the relationship creates a warming glow, but there are challenges that they need to be careful of. They can start to second-guess themselves. For the horse, you know you are irresistible, but with an immovable object, at least you know where it is. Some of the difficulties between a horse and a snake is that the snake likes to pay attention to the long-term interest, whereas the horse likes to place emphasis on current enjoyment. There you go. <laughs> so, Corbury, according to this, isn't the most compatible couple. Going on to our next character, we've got Jessica, who, according to her passport, is the 1st of January 1992, which means that her zodiac animal is slightly different to a lot of the other Bellas in 1992. Depending on where you are from, it's either the year of the goat, the sheep or the ram. So I've noticed that different places have different variations of this animal. But it, 
we're going to go with the year of the goat and it's also a metal goat. People born in the year of the goat have a pure and kind heart. They'd rather suffer silently than argue and ruin someone else's mood. However, in silence, they still hold their own opinion. In regards to their passions, they will do anything possible to fulfil their wishes. Though kind, goats have tricks up their sleeve as well. They are skilled at using soft power, able to patiently and politely persuade others in their favour. Now, we don't know that much about Jessica, but I, I can totally see her kind of being this really kind heart. And because her and Ashley are kind of in the background, like, you never know that maybe Jessica has the ability to kind of patiently and po politely persuade others in their favour without them knowing. You never know. This could be like a whole thing. Goats are able to persevere through difficulties. It's their most notable trait. They're strong and resilient, though their gentleness can be misleading. They have high tolerance and motivation, but they're quiet observers. They never act brashly and are able to complete tasks successfully. Goats also love children, animals and nature. They're very tidy. They're generous with their time and money. They put the needs of others above their own. However, their inner stubbornness sometimes can make communication difficult. With their mild personalities, they're able to make many friends. They are empathetic and always try to forgive others by understanding their point of view. Oh, it's like so nice. Careers for goats. Goats love helping and taking care of others. Therefore, careers in service industries are a good fit. They are suitable as nurses, caretakers and other related jobs. They will take care of every single detail and put their entire heart into it. They are intelligent and sensitive. Goats are also fit for the arts, never lacking in creative inspiration. They are also good for routine and steady careers. However, they not suited for competitive careers as its high intensity can throw them into confusion and anxiety. I could see like Jessica being kind of quite arty and it kind of makes sense that when things kind of blowed up with the Bellas, she's not sure what to do. She's always looking at Ashley. It's all just right there. Compatibility wise, they're most compatible with the horse, pig and rabbit. And they're least compatible with the ox, rat and the dog. That apparently horses and goats are a good match. So therefore, Chloe and Jessica are a good match according to the Chinese Zodiac. I've never thought of this shit before. Like, how have I not thought about this? Like, this is so good. Maybe this is a ship that needs to be explored a little bit more. I'm going to find out if there are any Chloe and Jessica stories out there. What makes them a good pair? So I ran this through and apparently... The reason why these two go well together, they're like a synchronised song. They're able to draw upon and benefit from each other to create a happy environment. Although they have different talents, they share common concepts and goals. 
horses can provide a stable environment and goats can make that environment as enjoyable as possible in every way for the horse. This is so sweet. So apparently, like, the horse and the goat, Chloe and Jessica, are an inspired match. Wow. I've not seen that coming. Okay, moving on to our biggest group of people, 1992 is the year of the monkey. That includes Ashley, who was born in the 12th of September, Becca, who was the 22nd of September, CR is the 4th of October, Amy, the 24th of August, and there are a number of characters that we're not sure about, Flo and Stacy. We know that Flo was born on the 30th of August. I can't figure out the year, but if they're at Barden around this time, there's a good chance it's the same year as everybody else, which is the year of the monkey, or it could be 1993, which we'll get onto a little bit later. So you can kind of decide where you think Flo and Stacy would lie in amongst all of this. So Ashley, Becca, CR and Amy, the year of the monkey, people born in the year of the monkey do things based on interest. If there's something they don't quite care for, they'll do the work sloppily. If it's something they're interested in, they'll put their entire heart into it and work until they succeed. They live a full, long life of energy and curiosity of the world. Monkeys also value relationships. However, spoiling children may be their weakness. I think this is so interesting. Oh my word, like just think for a second. If they're invested in something, they will do it with their entire heart. Can we just appreciate the fact that Becca Mitchell found music and that is what she wants to do with her entire heart? Like, come on. Also, if she's not quite interested, she'd do it sloppily. Barden is a perfect example of that. Until she got interested, she wasn't really that invested in the whole Barden University experience. So many connections. Looking at their personality a little bit more... Monkeys are light-hearted pranksters who have the ability to achieve their dreams. The monkey's most defining trait is their intelligence. They can sometimes be arrogant. They're often disrespectful and self-centered when making decisions. Monkeys become jealous easily, especially when others are doing better than them. And they're awfully competitive, which is both a positive and a negative. However, they view everyone as teachers and they're willing to listen to critique and learn from their mistakes. They are calm and logical thinkers. Monkeys are always able to triumph and be the final winner. They are smart and like attention. They're born leaders, but their arrogance can cause obstacles in their careers. Education and higher education are critical to success. I think with like a number of them... You could see some arrogant traits, but I like the fact that they also appreciate everyone as teachers. Like, I could see that with this group. Amy's quite self-centered. CR definitely has this kind of air of playful arrogance, I think. Just like a surety in herself. Ashley, we don't know that much about, but I think between Jessica and Ashley, Ashley does seem to be the one who is more sure surprisingly i could see this working for a lot of them if this was applying to stacy like 
Stacy's very sure of herself. Her arrogance... <laughs> arrogance sounds like such a bad word, but, like, especially in the first movie, like, she knows what she wants. Like... <laughs> Also, Stacy is highly intelligent, so it would it would make sense that she would channel that intelligence. I can also see someone like Becca being easily jealous. Career's fit for a monkey. Here we go. Monkeys are never satisfied. They want to try everything. This makes them suitable for challenging and risky careers. They're also cool-headed and do well in fields of logical thinking. Monkeys are knowledgeable on many topics and are multifaceted. They deal with complicated problems. Because monkeys aren't great at sticking to one thing, they can seem irresponsible. This affects the impression they give higher ups, so they're not necessarily good with leadership figures above them. <laughs> Gosh, this is like... Aubrey and Becca right now. Okay, so compatibility of a monkey. This is the big question, okay? Who is Becca compatible with in the Chinese Zodiac? According to the Zodiac, monkeys are most compatible with the snake, the rat, and the dragon. And they're least compatible with the tiger and the pig. Which means to say that if you are a fan of Mitson... That is a very compatible couple. As a Chloe shipper, it does pain me the fact that the horse is not the least compatible, but it's not the best compatible couple for a monkey. But the snake is. Let's have a look then at the snake and the monkey. Come on. Like, what does this mean? They're a good match when they can understand and tolerate each other. Both are sensitive, nervous and extremely demanding. Even under the same situation, they will have reservations or begrudge each other's abilities and chances. Relationships between monkeys and snakes is very extreme. They are either the most compatible or clash the strongest. <laughs> they have similar personalities, but one is ying and the other is yang. Oh my word, can you just imagine like... Somebody write Mitchson like this is so good because they are really similar. There are things there that is extremely like similar about Becca and Aubrey, but you can see that they do clash. But they could be quite a powerhouse if they gel well together. Hence the end of Pitch Perfect 1, when they do bring thing, everything together, they are a very good match. So it could either go really, really well for Mitson or it could go terribly. Which then leads us to question the Chloe, okay? We've made it to the monkey and the horse. How compatible are they? Could this work? Since we know that Mitson is a very good couple, does the Chloe work? The monkey and the horse? Both are brilliant and outgoing and enjoy high popularity because of this, neither of you is willing to be the subordinate to the other. <laughs> you take care of each other and find creative solutions to your problems. Monkeys can be self-centred, smart and flexible and have a strong head for curiosity. And they love to chase new goals, whereas the horse is independent and realistic and she actually goes on quite well with the kind of lifestyle a monkey might create. 
But since they're both independent, they both need to find compromises that will challenge both of them. But if they can compromise, it means that they will live a happy life together. So, like, it could work quite well. They just need to find, like, a good balance. Also, it just makes me laugh that neither of them wants to be the subordinate to the other because how many people in this fandom have got, like, a top and bottom theory with regards to Chloe? <laughs> Well, that's, this is just what it says. Thank <laughs> So another pair you need to look at is Jessly, the goat and the monkey. How compatible is Jessly? So apparently it's like a average pairing. It's not great, but it's not bad. The goat and the monkey are a couple that live together amicably, but find it hard to communicate. The chemistry of the goat and the monkey is that of opposites attract and in time learning to complement each other with relationship rooted in love. If a challenge surfaces, it could be because the goat assumes a parental but too critical approach to monkey's business. They can resonate their inner spark and the sense of order and organisation with the other. They enjoy accomplishments of lasting value and can be an inspiring and unbreakable power couple. So if they can get their stuff together, Monkey and a Goat could do quite well. So justly, not the most compatible couple, but there is potential there. Okay, we've done the Monkey. The next person we have is Lily, which according to the passports is the 9th of February 1993 the year of the water rooster. Now, this could be Stacy and Flo as well, we don't know. People born in the year of the rooster are able to sense what the other person is thinking or feeling. They have quick reactions and high EQ. They make great friends, although some are cunning. Roosters are creative and talented in the arts. Although few find a career in that field, they have foresight and plan everything carefully. Roosters are complex people who seem strong but deep down need validation from loved ones. They are serious in their work. They are straightforward and decisive in their actions. I mean, Lily, I could see her having quick reactions. She also does seem to have a very interesting kind of view on the world. I always kind of think that she's calculating in the background, so... The fact that she has foresight and plans everything carefully, I could totally see with Lily. Roosters are serious in their work. They are straightforward and decisive. They'll directly criticise what they see as unfit and are perfectionists. They are logical and good at managing teams. Family is a refuge and a paradise for them. They wish for a large family. Well, Lily got that with the Bellas. It means that they have more people to encourage and support them. No matter how difficult something is, they don't give up. If someone is blocking their path, they will reveal their fierce side. They are terrifying if angered <laughs> and get into arguments easily. Can we just say that, like, Lily is probably terrifying if she ever gets angry. I mean, it's the whole mood. Careers fit for roosters. Roosters don't actually care about money they gain it quickly and spend it quickly as well. 
Roosters are very serious and earnest with their work. They have professional skills and courage. They make smart choices. But instead of being more careful with important decisions, they often botch them. <laughs> they also don't like being ordered around. Roosters need enough space and freedom in a career. It must be difficult enough to challenge them, but not let their talent go to waste. It's an interesting... Roosters are interesting. I mean, they don't give up, and we know that Lily wants to travel through time, so, I mean, maybe she achieves the goal. This is the thing. The compatibility of a rooster is the dragon, snake, and the ox are the most compatible, and the least compatible is the rabbit, dog, and rooster. Can we just say that uh, if Stacy is a rooster or a monkey... She would be compatible with the snake on both of those signs. So it works out well, whichever kind of headcanon you have for Stacey in her birth year. Strawberry has great signs in their Zodiac matchups. And the final Bella that we need to look at is Emily, born on the 11th of November 1996. She is born in the year of the rat and her element is fire. People born in the year of the rat like saving and collecting. They never have hard times financially and live organised lives. If you receive a valuable gift from a rat, know that he thinks highly of you because he doesn't usually like opening his wallet for others. Rats don't look for praise and recognition. They are very sensitive and know when there is trouble. When they do take risks, they're usually successful. This is so interesting. Emily Junk is a rat. <laughs> that sounds so bad, but like, I love the fact that like, I could totally see Emily, if she gives you a gift, like it means something. And I like how she's often, especially in like the third movie, trying to help the Bellas, but like doesn't really take any praise for herself. She doesn't want the praise or recognition, but she is quite sensitive. So I feel sorry for Emily sometimes. <laughs> I don't necessarily see Emily as a risk taker, but I do like the fact that she might take risks and is successful. Rats are clever, quick thinkers, successful, but content with living a quiet and peaceful life. They're optimistic and energetic. People born in the year of the rat are likeable by all. I mean, Emily Junk is pretty likeable. <laughs> they are sensitive to others' emotions, but are stubborn with your opinion. Their personality is kind, but due to weak communication skills, their words can seem impolite and rude. They like saving, however, their love of hoarding will sometimes cause them to waste money <laughs> on unnecessary things. Maybe she just likes buying things for her hamster two-pack. Could be a thing. What about careers for a rat? What are good careers for rats? Because of their independence and imagination, they're suitable for creative jobs. However, if they join a team, their creative outlet may be blocked. Rats also pay attention to fine detail. I do think that Emily is quite alert and detail-orientated. Like, in Pitch Perfect 3, she often has the best advice for the Bellas, but they just never take it. So <laughs> Clearly, sometimes it is blocked. They are alert, but they have a lack of courage. What about compatibility? 
They are most compatible with the ox, the dragon and the monkey. So if you're a Bemily fan, this is also a very good matchup. Let's have a look at Bemily then, since this is another good matchup. Apparently monkeys get along with rats and tend to live happily ever after like a fairy tale. Oh my word. This is amazing. They can discover potentials of each other. They also make harmonious cooperation. And it means that they can harvest both money and happiness. Aw, that's so sweet. So, Bemily, this is a good matchup, guys. You got it right, apparently. However, a matchup that's not so great, according to the Zodiac, is rats are least compatible with the horse, the goat, and the rabbit. Which means that Emily and Chloe are not a good match at all. <laughs> it made me laugh when I saw this because I was like, oh my word, like this explains Pitch Perfect 2 and Chloe going off at Emily. Apparently, rat and horses clash strongly. No matter what the rat does, it won't be enough for the horse. <laughs> Poor Emily, like she just gets at Chloe's wrath. <laughs> Don't match up Chloe and Emily. That should not be a ship that happens, apparently. If they do get together, their energy leaps like an electric wire. <laughs> they have to learn to balance, to talk and listen. Because rats and horses are opposites, it often consists of power struggles with conflicts. Maybe this is why Emily and Chloe have never really been a ship. Like, they, they just clash. They're not a good match. Those are all of our Bella Zodiacs. What did we learn? Well, Emily and Chloe should not be together in any shape or form. But Chloe could work, but it's not a strong match, which pains me to say. <laughs> but Bemily is a good match. Mitchson is a good match. It also looks like Strawberry is a good match in whatever form you look at it. I mean, I am shook. Corbury's okay, but it's not the greatest. I mean, what more can you say? Just dropped the bomb right there. And maybe Chloe and Jessica needs to be a ship that we, we do more with because that is a very compatible match. Let's have a look at our fan fiction for this week. So for this week for fan fiction, I've been scouring around looking at what people have been writing and I just ended up picking like a number of stories that were quite fluffy. Starting off with A Long and Winding Road by Aubrey Posner Squire. The summary says Stacy and Aubrey have been seeing each other since they reconnected at the lodge at Fallen Leaves. One night when Stacy misses their planned date, Aubrey finds her drinking at a bar. What happens when both spill past traumas to each other? You can read this on AO3. And I was quite intrigued by the story. It's a strawberry story. I wasn't sure to expect. I was preparing myself for quite an angsty story. I was like, oh no, Stacy's didn't turn up for the date and like it's all going to go down. But it was actually really, really sweet. I loved the kind of premise that was built up that you kind of started with Stacy at this bar and just clearly dealing with a number of struggles. And what the author has done with both characters is given them a really deep 
backstory that you get to delve into in this one shot and the way in which you kind of get to understand where they're both at is through each character opening them, themselves up a little bit to each other and sharing these kind of important moments from their past. While you already kind of get a sense that Stacey's feeling quite broken at the time, it's really lovely how they both come together and how both of them seem to heal from the process of where this story ends up. And Aubrey's just so, like, sensitive to where Stacey is at because I could imagine her being a little bit upset that the date didn't happen and she's worried about Stacey and, like, all this stuff's going on. So when she eventually finds her, she's able to, like, read Stacey's body language and kind of work through that so that Stacey can trust her enough to open up. And it just kind of moves from the bar to Aubrey's apartment. Although there's some really traumatic things that the characters have gone through and experienced themselves they're so soft with each other and just so sweet it really made me appreciate Strawberry a little bit more when you've got these two strong characters and being able to have a bit more of a backstory just appreciated that although they're strong individually that they can let their walls down for each other and find that kind of safe space that each one of them can give as they try and build up this new relationship. And I like the fact that it is quite new. Not that they didn't trust each other before, but it's different when you get into a relationship with someone and having the trust there, opening yourselves up and finding a really safe space with someone that maybe you didn't think was possible before. The next story we're going to delve into this week is called Without Wax by Rutabaga129. The summary just says, after Becca breaks up with Jesse, she acquires a secret admirer. You can read this on AO3 and it's a three chapter story, but it is the sweetest thing. It's so sweet. If you just want like a, like a good, light, sweet story, oh my word, this is so good. Even the breakup, like even Becca breaking it with Jesse there's not really a lot of angst there it's just kind of like you know what we got to this point we're not really a couple anymore let's just break up this is not working and it just works like they both appreciate where they're at and the chemistry's not there and so they just kind of move on I kind of liked that I kind of liked having a story where there wasn't a big blow up and it was just like two people just appreciating you know, why do we keep doing this? There's no spark. And Becca just kind of leaves and goes, you know, I didn't really care. (laughs) And it's all fairly calm. And I quite like the fact that it goes through this kind of calm period. And the thing that kind of rocks Becca is the fact that Jesse seems to move on quite quickly, almost given the impression that maybe he was already looking before they broke up. And being the kind of oblivious person that Becca can be with emotions and relationships just didn't really think about it I think often Becca gets so wrapped up in her music and the things she's doing with the Bellas that delving into relationships isn't in the forefront of her mind and I'm sure part of that is just Jessie pushing it forward Becca's just kind of a bit fine about everything until realizing that actually Jessie was moving on she's not quite sure how to feel about everything And what kind of rocks her 
is the fact that she gets a package in the mail from a secret admirer. And this happens throughout the story. Now, I am terrible at puns. Like, I wish I had a talent of putting puns together, but I just don't. It's not something that comes naturally to me. So when I get to see good puns in this story is full of great puns it just brings me joy like it really does and all these little notes that becca receives with these thoughtful gifts have puns packed within them they're so good and the fact that each gift is clearly so well thought out and relatable to the character is such a good touch and it does make becca like stop and question like how on earth does this person know like who would think to give me these things which narrows down (laughs) the whole scope of people that it could be who could be your secret admirer like who would potentially do cute things for someone that you dearly love and wasn't available before but now that they are you're going to go about this in the cutest way possible to figure out if they like you back like it's so cute Becca kind of plays a little bit around. First of all, she's really like nervous of having a secret admirer and and receiving these gifts. And then she kind of like tries to figure out who it is and thinks she's figured it out, even to then try and kind of lay red herrings to see what the reactions would be. And then on the other side, you've got all the other Bellas kind of in the background of the story who also have their own opinions on how this all plays out and who the secret admirer is and is Becca going to figure it out so it's just really fun and like all the characters kind of have a little role in that as well and it is so sweet I absolutely loved it and while Becca might be receiving all these things like she's sweet back as well and as we come up to Valentine's Day I mean what a great story to just get you in the mood Now, the final story on our fan fiction highlights this week is called I... Because I Know That It's Delicate by TMYLM. The summary says, Prompt, the Chloe story, where it's Becca's first time with Chloe, but it's Becca's first time ever as she works through breaking away from religious ideologies and being okay in a gay relationship. Chloe's super sweet about it. This is available on AO3. Now, I will just premise this by saying that I knew when I had seen this story that I would need to include it in the highlights. It means a lot to me just because of the subject matter and I will probably gush over it, but I'm just saying we talked a little bit on the podcast about representation of different groups and I didn't realise that I needed a story that kind of represented maybe in a small way my own experience it's not covered very often in fan fiction or i haven't come across it very often dealing with difficult subjects like religion often when i have seen it covered in fan fiction it's from the perspective of them having a parent who is religious and has certain ideals and the child being worried about coming out to their parents, which is a valid thing to to deal with. But not often do you read a story where it deals with the inner turmoils of faith and religion and how 
if you've been brought up and you have a belief in something, how you equate that in your mind with how you feel about your sexuality and who you're attracted to. So having a story which actually delved into the thoughts and impressions of Becca from a religious background was something that hit me hard. And when I saw the prompt, I knew I had to read the story. It is a smut fic, so if you're not interested in the smut, just be fair warned, that's what it is. The way in which it deals with Becca's... The way in which it deals with Becca's turmoils, I thought it did a really good job. Like, I remember reading it and just being like, oh my word, like, this is how I felt about things and how it's so difficult to break through what you were brought up being taught or having your own faith and trying to reconcile where you are with God with how you feel. And while not everything is the same, having something where you actually felt recognised in some way, I didn't realise was so important to me. So like, I got quite emotional reading the story. I've never gotten emotional reading a story before. And like, I can't believe it was a smart fake, but like, (laughs) there we go. But also the fact that in this story, she confides in someone who doesn't understand but is extremely supportive and wanting to give them the space to discover things for themselves. Like, Chloe is, like, the perfect person that she could have opened up to. And having that safe space through the story was just so comforting. We could just do a whole podcast episode on this whole subject, which we're not going to do. I remember opening up to people when I wasn't sure about stuff, and sometimes they were the worst people you could have gone to and you got bad advice, and it made you kind of your head spin a little bit and I love in this that Chloe doesn't tell Becca what to think but she gives Becca the safe space to figure out what she wants and she's there to support her whatever she decides to do that kind of then sets the basis for a very soft story that's very sensitive but at the same time gives courage to people who maybe is in a similar position that they can find their own way. All I can hope is that, you know, you find someone as sweet or as understanding as somebody like Chloe Beale in this story, because I was just like, oh my word, that's, I would love to find that one day. <laughs> like, There's so much that I could say about this story, but I'm going to leave it there. Just finding a story where you feel recognised something I didn't know that I needed and the subject might not be for everybody but I think it was something needed for a number of people I love reading the comments and just how many people needed to be recognized in that way in effect and also it's just such a soft story like if you just need something that's so soft it's got that kind of running tension through it but it deals with it in such a soft way that it just gives you hope and I love that. These are our stories for this week of fanfiction highlights. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you are celebrating Chinese New Year, then have a lovely New Year. We'll be delving into Valentine's Day next week. So if you do have a favourite Valentine's fic, I would love to know what it is. You can drop me a message. You can let me know on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. 
I'll be collecting them over the next few days and preparing for a good delve into Valentine's Day. I'll see you next time, pitches.